I love getting kidded about this. People go, well, we have no doubt what the sermon's going to be about. Here, And that's a good thing. We are spending a year very intently focused on discovering, perhaps rediscovering, exploring, trying to understand. To the best of our ability in the year 2020, we want to see Jesus clearly. And one of our first strategies to do that is to go through the Gospel of Luke. Now, you may not know what a gospel is. A gospel is an account. It's like a history. It's a history of the, the life and the ministry and the mission and ultimately the death on a crucif- uh, crucified on a Roman cross, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And so that is the, what we're looking at and we're exploring. It. And so we're going very methodically through this. And I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you because I've received uh, just an incredible amount of text messages and uh, emails and you just stopping me in the hall or stopping me right after worship and just telling how much you sharing how much this has meant to you and the ways that you're growing and learning in who Jesus is and how that's shaping us. Because again, our point for this journey is not so we become super knowledgeable in Jesus' facts. This is not about can we pass the Jesus test or the quiz at the end. This is about taking a look in Jesus and learning to become like him. And learning to understand, as we just sang, led by Case, that he loved us first. And then what does life look like once we have him at the center and the focus? And that's a discovery process that we're on together So we're going to continue that today, but I'm going to tell you that today, at least in the beginning, it's going to seem like a downer, okay? Because what we're looking at, the story, the scriptures we're looking at today, you you don't go to these scriptures for to be suddenly made happy by them. Because as we unfold this story, you're going to see that there's a real struggle going on. And I want to talk about a word before we get in there. In fact, I want to talk about a couple of words. And then perhaps this describes your experience as well. In fact, many of you, as I show these words and I explain the beginning part here, you may say, oh yeah, that's me, Scott. Why don't you just let me have the microphone for a while? Because I could tell you some stories. So here's the word that I want to talk about at the beginning. It's being disappointed. And disappointment comes to us in so many ways, doesn't it? And and some of you would say, I'm not just disappointed, I'm in a season of disappointment. And what happens with disappointment, there's a reason that we get disappointed, and what happens in disappointment is this, and this will be the next slide, this is helpful to know, there's an expectation, and then we get reality, right? Right? You thought it would happen one way, and then it doesn't. And so you have this expectation, and in this gap here, we have disappointment. You thought you'd be married by now, and you're disappointed. You thought, you thought when you said, I do, you thought the other person meant, I do, forever as well. And then there was a betrayal, and you were, now you're disappointed because there's this gap. You're, you're wondering, why am I not farther in my career? I, I had it planned out. I thought for sure by now I would be farther down in my career. My finances would be in a different place. What happened to the plan? Where am I and why am I here in this situation? 
Some of you thought you'd have children by now. And that hasn't gone the way you thought it would. It hasn't worked out as smoothly as you thought. Or perhaps you have children and maybe they're grown and now the relationship that you had always thought that you would have with them, it's broken and it's separated and it's far apart and it's just not what you thought reality would look like. And we could go on and on with several different scenarios where you had an expectation. It's a good expectation. And nobody would fault you for having that expectation. In some ways you would have called it a hope. A dream to have. And yet now here you are in whatever season this is. You, you, you thought you had made the team by now. You, you thought you would have passed the course by now. You thought you'd just be in a different place by now. And the reality is not what the expectation is. Now we have a gap, so it's disappointment. And when you dwell in disappointment long enough, it brings up our next word. And you become discouraged. And we need to understand about this word is discouraged because we use it so often, so frequently, so many ways. There's a meaning behind this word. And it means a loss of courage. When you're discouraged, you are losing courage. It's being taken from you. You're It's leaking out. Somehow you're losing your courage to face the things in front of you. And so many of you would say, I am in a season. And it's been a long season. And I'm discouraged. And so then we pray. And we cry out. And we ask a question. And we all end up at some point... Asking the same question, and here's the question. Why God? Why? Why why am I in here in this moment? Why is it not working out for me like this? And then it's not very hard to look out the window, is it? And see somebody else, or get on Facebook and see somebody else, and go, it's working out for them. Why God? And one thing that we're going to come back to again and again in this series is we're going to come to understand as Luke leads us here time and time again is that that your current circumstances is no indicator that God's abandoned you. And this story that we're going to look at today is, is a clear indication of that. When you're in the middle of a discouraging season, a situation that just doesn't seem like it's going to have any resolution for it, what do we do in those moments? How do we live in that place? So if you have your scripture journals, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 today. We started Luke 7 last week, and we're going to pick up there again. And now we're going to be in, in verse 18. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. We're going to make our way through this and then unpack what some of these mean. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour... 
he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive the sight, the lame walk and are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, at outset, you wonder, well, where's all the disappointment in that, Scott? And what I want to share with you is that what's going on here is John, let's do some background on it. John sends messengers for a reason. Because John is in prison. And if you want a verse for that, Luke chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. John is in prison because he dared speak out against the one that was in power, Herod Antipasus, the king. And what he spoke out against him was a very specific place because Herod, this Herod had basically stolen the wife of his brother. He'd gotten his own divorce, stolen his, his, his half-brother's wife, and made her the queen. And he is speaking out about this. He's not afraid to speak truth to power. He's doing exactly what he should be doing. And it lands him in prison. And he set up the ministry for Jesus. And I want you to think as best we can. Step into your imagination. And let's look at John. Because his, his mission was to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And he knew this was going to be his mission because his dad, Zechariah, had been told this was going to be the mission before John was ever born. And so can you imagine John his whole life, his dad telling him with real, tangible proofs that you have a special purpose in this world. You have a mission to fulfill. You have a calling on your life and it's to prepare the way of the Messiah. And as he grew, he grew into that mission. And he had probably had some sense of being specially chosen by God for this moment. And then he begins that ministry, and then when comes time for Jesus' baptism, if you remember a few chapters back, Jesus is baptized, and John points to him and talks to, talks to him, this is the one with whom I'm not worthy to even tie his sandals. And John is fulfilling that purpose of pushing his disciples towards Jesus because he was to prepare the way but John was not the way. And now he's in prison. And you've got to believe that in the moments of being in prison, locked away and cut off and alone, then you start going through disappointment and discouragement because it was supposed to be different. I thought I was specially chosen. And then you wrestle with doubt. And so John gathers some of his disciples together, and he's not able to leave, but they are. And so he passes a message to them, and they say, Go ask Jesus, is he the one or not? Because John's needing in that moment to know, has it all been worth it? What, what does it matter that I followed Jesus in this way? What, what does it matter? Has it been worth it, or have I spent... My ministry and my time in jail, have I spent it as a loss? Has it all been worth the same? And this is the same doubt that you and I go through. Because we often think that I've, I've lived the right way. 
I, I've done the right things. I've followed the right path. I've, I've read my Bible. I've prayed. I've gone to church. I've done all these things. Why, God, is this happening to me? You, you see the cycle? You see the, the doubt turning to discouragement? The, the disappointment turning to discouragement? And so here's John. And so he sends these messengers to Jesus. And I want you to look back at, what, at how this unfolds. This is a great, great passage. They come, and they, two disciples came and they, to Jesus, and they says, Are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? And that's what their message is from John. And so Jesus, in verse 21, he does not answer them immediately. It's almost like he says, one second, hold on. And then notice what 21 says, and if you're circling in your journal, I want you to circle verse 21. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. So they come, they present their question, and Jesus says, watch this. And Jesus goes into a season of healing. And he goes into this pattern of healing and and changing these lives and making the lame to walk and the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the lepers are cleansed. And he's watching this. And John's disciples are watching this. And then he turns to them after maybe an hour. We don't know how much longer. And he says, now, now go and tell John what you've seen. See, he doesn't say, yes, go tell John, I've got it covered. He says, go and tell John what you've seen and what you have heard. The blind have received their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. What he's doing, he starts quoting the Old Testament to them. He's quoting from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet of God that lived years and centuries before. And what he wrote down was prophecies of one that they called the Messiah, the Anointed One. The one that's going to come and make it all right. And so what Jesus is doing is he's saying, watch what I've done. And he does Messiah things. He does, he does things that was prophesied that the Messiah would do. And it's this whole turning what is an upside down world right side up. It was never in God's plan to have lame. It was never in God's plan to have blind. It was never in God's plan to have deaf. It was never in God's plan to have leprosy and disease. It was never in God's plan to have death. And so there's these signs that he's showing, this demonstration. So he doesn't answer their question with a verbal response. says, yes, go tell John. He's okay. He demonstrates to him what's going on. Then he goes on. I'm going to show you what comes out in the next part. Pick up in verse 24. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. 
I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Now, he's, he's talking to the crowd now. And the messengers have gone off, and they're about to receive them, go tell John what's going on back in prison. And now he's addressing them. He says, I tell you, there's none born of women that is not greater than him. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too. Don't you love it? The tax collectors always get their own category. All the other sinners and the tax collectors. They declared God just. Having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves. Not having been baptized by him. He says, then to what shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For the John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine. You say, he has a demon. The Son of Man comes, eating and drinking. You say, look at him, glutton and a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinner. Yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. What's going on in these passages? He says this. He says, what did you expect to see when you came to see John? Because he knows John, John has notoriety. John is a known quantity there. And he looks at this crowd and says, what did you expect to see? And he uses this phrase, did you expect to see a reed shaken by the wind? And that is a little confusing to us, but they would have all gotten it. Because what he's referring to is what's known as the Galilean reed. And I've got a picture of it up here. And the best I can compare it to would be Texas blue bonnets. Okay? So, you know, in the spring, if it's a good crop that year, how our bar ditches and fields and all these areas, they just come alive with Texas blue bonnets. And people drive and they'll have their picture made in. That's kind of what this Galilean reed was. It was this golden look out across the land. In fact, it was so preeminent, it was such a distinctive factor that Herod, who still respected the Jewish traditions enough that he could not put his own image on a coin, which is what all the other rulers wanted to do. But he couldn't because of the Jewish belief of a graven image and not supporting that, is he chose a, the Galilean reed. And so here's one of his coins that they've uncovered. And this is the Galilean reed here. And so that's a symbol for Herod. And so did you notice what he says? Did you expect to see a shaken a reed shaking in the wind? Did you expect to see somebody in soft clothing? Did you expect to see somebody in king's courts? Jesus is giving clues without naming Herod directly. Everybody in the group says, he's talking about Herod. Did you expect to see a king just like you're used to? He's addressing their expectations versus the reality. And he's come and now he's addressing the gap that's in between. Because they're looking for a Messiah that's going to rule like a king that they understand and they know. And John's asking this question from prison. Are you the one? Is it worth it? And Jesus sends back and says, says, I am the one. But it's going to be different. That's why at the end of this passage you have this whole parable or this, this metaphor of you're like children that can't figure out what tune we played a sad song, and you didn't want to have a funeral. We played a happy song, and you said, no, you can't party. And so, what do you want? What's your expectation? And he's addressing in them. He says, he says, the Messiah is here, but it's not like what you think it is. 
Because we have to come to this realization, even though we know that John's faithful, and yet he's discouraged in this moment, and Jesus is sending back a yes answer, guess where John still is? In prison. If you're John, and Jesus sends back word that he's the Messiah, what's your next question? Why don't you come get me? Why God? Why Jesus? Where, where are you in this? And John is left in that moment. So this is what I was saying. Part of this is hard to handle because Jesus is who he is, and yet he's not showing up saying, I'm going to take everything away and make it all comfortable and easy. And so John, having done the exact thing he was supposed to do, is still in a situation that you and I would not trade for. And so what do we do when we get discouraging news? What do we do when we get we're in the midst of discouragement and we're wrestling with something and it seems like, why God, why God, why God? And it appears that God's silent in the moment. Well, to help us understand this, I want to go to another follower of Jesus. This is a man named Paul, and maybe you're familiar with him as the Apostle Paul. But what you may or may not know about Paul is that he had some type of ailment, some type of condition. Now, different theories says it may have been something with his eyes, it may have been something with his stomach and his gastrointestinal tract, but it gave him great discomfort and great pain. And so Paul, a faithful follower of Jesus, in fact, oftentimes was given the ability to heal others, once even raised a man from the dead, he can't heal himself. And so in 2 Corinthians, if you want to just make a note of this passage, I'm going to read it up here for us. But in 2 Corinthians 12, he shares with us an insight. Because this was discouraging to Paul. And look what he says in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn, and this is how he talks about his ailment, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. So this is not something light and and joking. This is something that he's saying, this is like a messenger from Satan is coming up to hold me back, to to keep me down, to make me discouraged, to, uh, to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now, understand when he says three times, he doesn't mean I prayed once in the morning, once in the afternoon, once in the evening, and said, well, I guess that's, that's it, God. He's talking about three seasons of intense prayer. Three seasons where he's crying out to God, where he's fasting, where he's allowing himself to be before God in a very intense way. And he keeps coming back to God, God, if there's any way, please deliver me from this. Verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Does that describe any of your worlds? Does that describe any of your Mondays? Describe any of what it's like when you walk into your house at the end of the day and you know some of the things that you're going to face there? What's that like when you walk onto the campus of your school? Do any of those words fit? 
Then he ends with this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Grace is made perfect in your weakness, is what Paul would tell us. So he was allowed to keep this very thing that he didn't want. Prayed for it to be delivered from, prayed for it to be taken away. That oftentimes became a discouragement. And God's answer is no. My grace is sufficient for you in this. So here's what I want you to take as some takeaways from all this. Because you may be in a season of discouragement. In a season where reality and expectations and the gap is wide and it's large in between. And you're wrestling with something. This is where the testimony of John and the words from Paul can speak to us. And it's this. God can use your weakness as the pulpit to proclaim his message. God can use your weakness. Because that's what he tells Paul. He tells says, my grace is sufficient for you. When you're weak, I am strong. And so God can use that very thing, this season of your life, whatever it is that you're facing, he can use it as the pulpit to proclaim his message for his glory. So even though John's wrapped up in prison, Jesus still turns to the crowd and says, there's none better than him. Why? Because God's proclaiming a message through him. There's none better than John. There's none better than Paul. There's none better than you when you allow God to shine in the midst of your weakness. Now, that's, that's a hard one to get our minds around because nobody wants that as an answer, right? We want deliverance. We want relief. We want success. Yet God says, I can use what you're going through as a means by which to proclaim my grace to a world that needs to know what it's like to experience grace when it hurts. In a world that's so broken, to show what it's like to be a follower of Jesus based on his power, not yours. Not on your ability to climb up to some level of success but on what Jesus can do through you. So I'm going to share with you a couple questions here. I'm going to ask the guys that are going to be serving communion, if they would, to go ahead and take their places. We're going to go from this message right into a time of being with Jesus and sharing in the communion that he offers. And I'm going to guide your thoughts, if I can, during that time and give you some things to, to think about. Because what happens to John is he gets word back and says, here's what Jesus is doing. Here's, here's the Messiah things he's doing, and it's radically changing the world. And sometimes, oftentimes, we need to be reminded of what we've seen Jesus do, right? That there are things in your life that you need to be reminded of, of what Jesus has done in your world. And so, here's the first question I want you to wrestle with is this. What have you seen Jesus do in your life? There's an old song we sing, Count Your Many Blessings. Name them one by one. That's, that's good, wise advice. What have you seen Jesus do? And what, what have you seen Him do? Maybe not in this one that you're in right now, but at other seasons and other times in your life, and allow that to power you. Allow that to, 
to encourage you. Because that's what we're doing. When we discourage, we lose courage. When we encourage, we're adding courage in. And so Jesus is saying, tell John these things and let that encourage him. And so he's saying the same thing to you. How have you seen Jesus at work in your life? Because he's still there. How has he used your moment of discouragement to proclaim his message? Because here's the second one that I want you to think about. Who can you share what you've experienced with to encourage them? Who can you share what you've experienced with? I, I am blessed in my ministry for so many of you that you go through something incredibly difficult and then you find ways to share it with somebody else because now you have an expertise that you paid an incredible price for. And some of you that have walked through a divorce, you've come to me and you said, hey, I want to share what that was like with somebody else. And I want to encourage them. Some of you that have walked through grief, immense grief. Hey, how can we come together and how can I encourage and how can I bless someone else? And the power of that is where God steps into the midst of that weakness and shows a strength that's supernatural and beyond belief. So reflecting on that. So I'd leave you with this last encouraging thought is this. Because I want you to think about what have you seen and who can you share it with. If you've seen the recent uh, movie with Tom Hanks playing, portraying Fred Rogers in the Mr. Rogers movie, there's this powerful scene that they recount a habit that Mr. Rogers had. And that's where he would ask for a time of quiet reflection to be grateful for the people that have impacted your world. And the way they portray, he did this once in a, in a speech in 1997 when he won an Emmy. And he asked all these high powered celebrities to spend 10 seconds in silence while he gave his, his talk of just being grateful for the people that have poured into their life. And then he did it again at Dartmouth College when he gave the graduation speech. And he asked for these, these young men and women when they're about to launch out into their careers. But just to take a moment and think about what's been done for you on behalf. Well, the way they portray this in the movie is there's a scene in a Chinese restaurant where they're eating, he's eating with the reporter that he's being interviewed by. And he asked the reporter, would you in a moment, because the reporter's life is broken and, and he's, he's got heartache because he's distant from his dad and he lost his mom years ago. He says, would you spend just a minute with me in silence thinking about all the people that have blessed you? And what you may not be aware of in the scene is in that restaurant that they're filming, all the extras, those are people from Fred Rogers' life. His wife is in the scene. The actor that played the postman, Mr. Neely, is in the scene. And it's just a powerful indicator of being reminded of what we can be grateful for. So as you reflect, in these moments of silence that we're going to have, what's Jesus done for you? And who can you encourage with that message? Father, you are the God that's writing these stories.
And you're the God that is with us even in the middle of our discouragement. And Father, our, our gap between what we expected Jesus to be and the Messiah that he is, Father, help us to find your strength in the middle of our weakness in that gap. So Father, I pray that for all those here today that would experience this as being discouraged, that are in the middle of a season, whatever it is, that they're disappointed, they're down, and they just feel, why God, why? That this week, Father, would be a week where you begin to reveal to them how your grace is sufficient, how you can be strong in their weakness, and how you can proclaim your message from the pulpit of their lives. Father, I pray that you would also be with us as we share our stories, as we give testimony to what you've done, to what Jesus is doing actively in our life every day. Because it's in his name that I pray this prayer and offer up this thanks. Amen.